Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Amen. He is for you. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, I, my name is uh, John Jelenic. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I've been here about a year. And I don't know half of you half as well as I would like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve at this point. So, uh, you know, I started wearing the mask before we even had to. That way you wouldn't know who I was while you were here. Uh, I'm, we live in a generation that's uh, gripped by its fear. We deal with fear, and because we deal with fear, we grow up very early, like my daughter did, uh, imagining the disasters that await us. I remember one time she had a project to present at school as my youngest daughter, and she came to me before that project crying. I said, what are you crying about? She said, well, I'm afraid that people are going to laugh at me when I present my project. She was imagining a disaster ahead because she didn't know what would be. I was in a prayer group uh, every day at Moody, I met with my team and I prayed. And one of the members of my team, he had a particular knack for imagining disaster ahead. If you would share a prayer request with him, he would immediately say, I know someone that died from that. <laughs> Just could imagine the worst possible scenario that lay ahead. Uh, psychologists call this catastrophizing, where we imagine the worst possible outcome. But there's one thing in common with everybody who makes that kind of speculation about the future, things that grip them with their fear. Every time they do that, they remove God from the picture. It's always a future where God is not there, where God is not part of the equation. In a godless future, we will certainly live in the grip of our fears. In our series, Built for More, we've been going through the Psalms, and we're looking at how our life groups put meat on the bones of our fellowship. And we have a unique opportunity today to celebrate one of our great practices, a practice I really enjoy, rehearsing before each other how God's grace, how God's unmerited favor demonstrates itself in a daily basis on our lives. We're going to be looking at Psalm 124 because it teaches us how we can live not in the grip of our fear, but in praise. Because the psalmist, in a clever twist there, goes into the past and imagines the disaster that could have been if God were not part of our past. You ever think about what the Lord spared you from? Psalm 124 takes you to that. All things in our lives, all kinds of things could have gone wrong, but they never did because God was on our side. When you ask the question, what does it mean to be in the grip of his grace? I often sign off my letters to people, yours in the bonds of his grace. And what I mean by that is what Psalm 124 is talking about. Because God is for me, who can be against me? And this is not just an Old Testament concept. 
Paul says in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We have nothing, if we have certainty that God is with us, we have nothing to fear. Do you want to live there where you have no fear? I know it's not just children who struggle with this. I know it's that we do as adults. Let's look at what Psalm 124 has to teach us, and let's learn that with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. There are three things that this psalm tells us we should do together in the context of group life. And the first is it tells us that we should ponder together, ponder together the goodness of God. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So the psalmist goes into the past, and he imagines the disasters that would have befallen them as a people had God not been for them. And we know from our study of the scriptures That God, it was for the Jewish people. In fact, the scriptures tell us they are the apple of his eye. So instead of imagining a godless future that's a total disaster, he calls upon those who are reflecting here to envision a God-filled past with disasters that never came because God was for us. Now, the leader invites the community to say, by saying, let now Israel say. I just want you to imagine the context for these songs of ascent. Psalms 120 to 135 were songs that families of pilgrims sang as they went up, particularly to feasts at Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. And one of the feasts you might celebrate is the Feast of Booths, reminding you of your temporary shelter in Israel. And so the families come up together, and as they're coming up together, imagine the throngs proceeding to Jerusalem for a feast like tabernacles, and all of the families singing together, and not you, you don't sing because you don't do that, but somebody, a leader, (laughs) rises up in the midst of the congregation that's headed toward Jerusalem, and he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let now Israel say... And your family, your children, join along with you in the praise of the Lord who brought all of this about in your past. A past that was filled with his blessing instead of the disasters that could have awaited you. So they all say it again together. If not the Lord, if it had not been the Lord on our side. One thing we must do, if we're going to get away from debilitating fear in our lives, is... We need to know that the Lord is with us and repeat that the Lord is for us. Again, some people describe to me their history. And when that person is not particularly spiritually vibrant, maybe not even a believer, 
They tend to do it by looking on the negatives. And one thing is conspicuously absent in their retelling of their story of their past. One person is particularly absent. God himself. There's no awareness of God in their history. As if God did not exist. There were only breakups, abuse, and losses. Painful experiences, memories, and difficult relationships. In all these perspectives, God was not present. So the psalmist asks those who gather to God at the feasts in Jerusalem to reflect upon the fact that God is indeed present in their family life. In his book, Seven Principles for Making a Marriage Work, Dr. John Gottman writes about troubled marriages. He says, When a couple is entrenched in a negative view of each other and their marriage, they rewrite their past for the worse. In a happy marriage, couples look back on their early days fondly. It's not as if there were no troubles, but even if the wedding didn't go exactly as planned, the couple, in relating their story, will emphasize the highlights rather than the low points. They'll remember struggles, to be sure, but they'll remember their struggles as something they overcame together. And they'll speak with admiration for each other and how they came together in spite of their setbacks. But in a marriage that's not going well, two things happen. Either the couple will remember the low points of every major event, like he was 30 minutes late to our rehearsal dinner, or she never really celebrated me when I finished my degree, They focus on the low points, or they'll barely remember the past because it's become so unimportant or so painful to them that it's faded into oblivion. The past, you see, can be rewritten for the worst. But Psalm 124 invites us to rewrite it for the better, with God at the center of our past. And then it invites us to imagine what could have been had God not been with us again. Then the waters, the raging waters, would have overflowed over us. When people rose against us, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. You know, you don't have to go very far in the Old Testament to see story after story where people are always opposed, always opposing the people of God. (laughs) There's always danger around the corner. The psalmist then invites those who come to Jerusalem to celebrate to reflect how bad it might have been had God not been for them. In fact, the whole book of Esther, if you look at it, those Jews sure are lucky. (laughs) No, indeed, even though it never announces the name of God, it pronounces the fact that God was with the Jews, that God was for the Jews. And the outcome was quite different. Think what this psalm is saying. It's putting God at the center of our past and compelling us to think of the disaster that could have been but wasn't. You know, when I hear people say to me, I don't know how people get by without the Lord. It really is true, isn't it? Have you been hearing that a lot these days? These are troubled days in which we live. I really don't know how people can do it how they can manage all these catastrophes, all these trials, without the Lord. That's a perspective that this psalm commends. 
not only in our group life, but in our family life. So let me ask you a question. Is God at the center of your past? Or is he absent from the picture? As you relate what went on in the past, is it only griping and complaining about what was? Or do you see the ways in which God protected and preserved you? Do you see the ways in which God was there for you? The missteps never taken, the relationships that never started, the drugs that were never used, the deals that were never made, the illnesses that were never contracted. They never came to pass because God was on your side. So first of all, the psalmist encourages us to ponder the favor of God. Don't fear your future if God is in it. Well, not only should we ponder God's favor, a second thing we should do together as we gather in our groups is praise God for his protection. Listen to verses 6 and 7 once again. Blessed be the Lord, being thankful, who has not given us as prey to their teeth, these people in the previous verses, who would have overwhelmed us. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are escaped. What I love about this is the psalmist deals in reality. He knows that we as God's people will face snares. How does the hymnist put it? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Why is that? Because God is for us. And again, I take you back to Romans chapter 8. This is not merely an Old Testament concept. Paul reminds the people of God in that great climactic chapter in Romans chapter 8 that if God is for us, who can be against us? Shall anything separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? No, because God is for us. And we should dwell on that. There are snares. They are out there. But we, with God on our side, have nothing to fear. God did not give them up as prey. He brings up the metaphor of a bird, a helpless, defenseless, and it emphasizes our smallness. So we celebrate. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. You know, John Calvin wrote that man does not know one one-hundredth of the sin that cleaves to his soul. And you and I perhaps do not know one one-hundredth of the times that God delivered us from ourselves or from situations that we might have encountered if he were not our God, if he were not our protector. Do you know how often we could fall into a snare but don't because God's ever-present hand traps us? Just reflect with me for a minute on these 12 things Scripture says are snares. Scripture tells us are traps that lay before our paths on a daily basis. In Exodus 23:33, he speaks of false gods as a snare. The wrong alliances in Exodus 34:12. Evil work in Psalm 9, verse 16. People's evil schemes against us. Psalm 64, verse 5. Our own words can snare us, according to Proverbs 6, 5. The seductive, forbidden woman with whom we have no covenantal relationship in the book of Proverbs 
chapter 7, verse 23. Rash vows, vows or promises that we make that are made in haste. Proverbs 20, 25. Dishonest gain is a snare. Proverbs 21, 6. Friendship with a person given over to anger. Proverbs 22, 25. The fear of man is a snare, according to Proverbs 29, 25. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 9, the desire to be rich is a snare. All of these things point to the snares that are out there, the traps that are out there. And because God is for us, he can spare us from them all. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, man, I went through some of those snares and I got trapped. (laughs) I went into some of those situations and it didn't come out all right. I have a word for you in just a moment. But Jesus told us the path of life is narrow. We can fall off to the left or to the right. A woman or a man can ruin your marriage. Foolish words can ruin your career prospects. People who don't like us can plot against us. But for those who walk with God and who know that God is on their side, the psalmist says, the snare is broken and we have escaped. So praise him. Praise him for his protection. If things have gone well for you, don't think it's because you're so wonderfully smart and clever. Acknowledge the God who brought it about. Not only should we ponder God's favor, we should praise God for his protection, but also we should put our trust in God. Listen again to verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Hebrew, the way this is constructed, it's a bait essentia. The idea is not our help is in the name of the Lord. The actual idea is our help is the name of the Lord. Now, if you understand anything about the way Hebrews name things, naming is very significant. Naming reveals character. And so when we're talking about the name of the Lord, we're talking about the very character of God himself. Our help is God's name. God's name is God's reputation. In 1 Samuel 25, Abigail is married to a man called Nabal. David, who is fleeing from Saul in 1 Samuel 25, sends to Nabal asking him to provide provisions for his men because David's men had protected Nabal's flocks in the wilderness. So in exchange, he's asking for a favor. Nabal refuses. Abigail intervenes, his wife, and brings provisions to David because David had determined to kill Nabal. You know what Nabal's name means in Hebrew? Fool. Fool. Our help is in the name of the God of heaven and earth, the God who created it all. Could you have a better ally on your side? Families, as you go up to worship, as you celebrate together what God has done in your midst, could you have anyone better than the God who created heaven and earth on your side? Now let me draw your attention to the first word in verse 8 because it emphasizes what you and I ought to be doing. It's the word our Our help. Notice how every part of the psalm draws attention to the fact 
that we are meant to live in community. Our help is in the name of the Lord. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, they would have swallowed us alive. The Lord has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Here is one of the reasons our life groups are so essential. They give us a chance to express our shared identity as God's people. One of the reasons we want you to get together in a group, even if you're an introvert, (laughs) is because you need what the group has to offer in terms of encouragement. Uh, Pastor Matt described how calling a friend who was in his group was helpful to him. Had you been here for our morning, our 8 o'clock service in the baptism of Rita, Rita testified how the Lord was with her through some horrible things that she had recently experienced and had given her comfort and peace in the midst of that. You see, God wants to be this for us in the midst of our trials and our fears. But he also wants us as believers to be speaking of what the Lord is doing in our life and encouraging one another all the more as a result. So in, Psalm, in light of Psalm 124, I exhort you to make group, lives a, group life a priority. Sign up for one of these groups. If you're not in a group, uh, consider doing that. Uh, even if you are an introvert, uh, you're like two porcupines out in the wilderness, right? Uh, it's trying to stay warm in the cold. Uh, they need each other even though they needle each other, right? Uh, you need what other people have to offer, and that is the fellowship that comes from knowing the Lord. We've been talking about the disaster that could have been, but never was in this psalm. But many of you live with much regret. We regret choices, harsh words, addictions, and perhaps even affairs that were destroying precious relationships. Some regret being absent while the children grew up. Uh, We regret not speaking up against oppression and abuse. So you look at your past and you say, well, the Lord certainly wasn't for me. Disaster did come. If that's you, it will help you to know what this psalm encourages you to do to embrace, if that's the truth. Our help, your help, can be the name of the Lord. Your help can be the very character of God if you do what this psalm is asking you to do. How can you know that God, the creator of heaven and earth, is for you? That is the critical question of this psalm. After all, Paul raised it in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? I want to be on that God is for us side, don't you? Many people think their good deeds give them an audience with God that puts God in their debt. But we begin life with a debt to God for our worship. And in our sin, every failure to worship and honor God as God, whether it's in how we treat our fellow man or how we treat God himself, puts us in further debt to God for our sin. Other people, if you ask them, as I have done on many occasions, why should God look with favor upon you as you enter into heaven? And you say, because I'm a good person. And I would ask them, well, if you're a good person, 
Why do you have so much regret? I've listened to your story. And you regret all the things that you didn't do, could have done, or did. Ponder this. In fact, so often it's because of our regret that we try to make up for our regret by doing something good. As though we could somehow, God is sitting in heaven with a scale. And we think of all the bad that we do, and he puts it on one half of the scale, and all the good we do, but there's never enough, is there? There's never enough. Many I know of on their deathbeds ask me in one of my visits, based on this kind of thinking, have I done enough? I just wonder. I tried. I really tried hard. But have I done enough? It's so good to be able to tell them, no, you haven't. But Jesus has. Jesus has done enough. What makes God to be on our side and for us, not against us because of sin, is what verse 8 says. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord. My help is not in the good deeds which I have done. My help is in what God has done. In this case, Jesus Christ under the new covenant. Jesus gave up his relationship with God for a time in taking on our sin. Sin separates us from God. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, which means that God could no longer be on Jesus' side. And because God was not on his side, the hatred of men pierced and nailed him to a tree. Because God could not be on his side, Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God could not be on his side, the wrath of God consumed Jesus until he breathed his last. My friends, we deserve that. Jesus took that for us. The perfect Son of God lost everything to bring us back to God. He has done enough. You and I have not. And if you trust him, if you confess, our help, our salvation is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will be forever on your side. As Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Shall pestilence or famine or nakedness or sword? No, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. God can be for you if you trust that what Jesus has done is enough. Because I can tell you, my friends, what you have done what you might do, what you might think you can do, will never be enough. But if you trust Jesus, he'll forgive all your sin. He'll erase all your regret. He'll rewrite your past. You'll not have to imagine a godless future that's a total disaster. You'll be able to imagine a God-filled God-forgiven past, present, and future of a disaster that never came. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Trust him. Praise him. With God on our side, we have nothing to fear. I want to remind you just one more time that all of these things were sung in Psalms as the people walked up to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the Mishnah says that the 15 songs corresponded to 
the 15 steps leading down to the women's court. But what you have here is a picture of God's people united in praise to the God who spared them in their past from what would have been a disaster. Parents, speak to your children about your past mistakes, your past regrets. Speak to your children and your grandchildren about how God took those things and redeemed them. And if you are sitting here this morning, God forbid, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you seek me out? I would love to show you what Jesus did on your behalf to bring new life and to wipe out past regret. With God on our side, you and I have nothing to fear. Shall we pray? Gracious Father and loving God, we thank you for the truth of this psalm that teaches us the truth of your character, that you have come to redeem sinners. Paul wrote that Jesus Christ came to save sinners among whom he was chief. In that new relationship, Father, you have become for us. Who can be against us? May we speak often of your goodness in our lives, with our family, with our friends. May we help others to escape the snares and traps that lay before them. And may we go forth in victory, knowing that our God is the one who delivers and who saves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.